Good stuff, good stuff. Noticed uh, Terrence and I were just talking on one of those slides. We just want to make sure you know. Uh, house Party, which is for our students um, that are in middle school and high school, um, that's actually been changed to 6th grade through 12th grade. So I just wanted to make sure you guys knew that. And so um, that's something that's happened. So we'll update that slide and make sure that you guys know that. So also, too, wanted to uh, just real quick make mention of a, um, a couple things that I just felt like God was just putting in my heart to do. And uh, I just want to say um, this morning... Um, we had our men's breakfast um, this morning, and uh, it's something that uh, I know Zach and Nathan, um, God just put on their hearts just to kind of strengthen and intensify and be a little bit more intentional about uh, what we were doing. We were just getting together and eating breakfast and hanging out, and so uh, Zach, over the past two months, he's been bringing uh, just another lesson and just an encouragement um, the past two months, and uh, I just want to say, Zach, dude, I'm proud of you, and uh, I, I appreciate you so much. I see just the things that God's doing in you, man, and uh, I'm just super, super proud of you and just thankful for the word that you brought this morning and just thankful for um, uh, just the encouragement you bring in, uh, into the moment just to help us to continue to chase after Jesus. So thank you so much, bud. I really appreciate it. So, And then I just wanted to say a huge thank you to Stephanie as well. Um, man, just did such a good job leading worship tonight. And uh, wasn't worship awesome? It was such a good job tonight. And, um, and Stephanie just... Uh, stepping out in faith and just uh, continuing to grow in that gift. And so just super proud of you as well. And just want to say thank you so much. Uh, and thank you to uh, everybody who just makes, makes this happen every single week. It's no small feat. Uh, you know, every single week just to uh, help us to have a service and for us to have these moments that God's speaking to us and helping us. And so thank you to everyone who is involved in that. And so just really absolutely appreciate it. Well, we're going to uh, keep talking tonight in our sermon series um, that we started a couple weeks ago. We took a break last week and did a little family Christmas and had a moment with the kids and had fun in here and just listening to them sing and having some Christmas carols and having a snowball fight and doing all kinds of fun stuff. And so uh, thank you so much for being here for that. But uh, it was an absolute blast. But tonight we're going to pick up in our sermon series and we're going to keep talking about the fact that waiting is a real thing and that we're not good at waiting. And the title of this sermon series is I Am Still Waiting. And so I, the, the reason this came to mind is just this whole idea, I mean, just the Christmas season. This whole season is about waiting. I mean, that's what this whole thing is about. Christmas time, I mean, it's, it's what brings, you know, just uh, all of the fun little special moments. It's not about the things that happen, but it's about the moments in between the moments. And I know for us, uh, in our house, we love Christmas. I mean, we, uh, we're counting down after Halloween for Thanksgiving just so that we can start decorating for Christmas. Who's with me right there, right? I mean, you just love it. We love decorating for Christmas. We love the rest of your Scrooges. So, uh, you know, like, but we love Christmas, and we love decorating. We love, we love playing uh, the music. And yes, Corinne, I don't like poinsettias, but I still love Christmas. And so, you know, like, I, we, we love decorating. We love setting things up. We love, you know, watching the Christmas movies. We've got, you know, our traditional movies that we love watching. And we love looking forward to those moments. We love going to get the tree and setting up the tree. We love watching the kids decorate the tree so that we can put them to bed and undecorate the tree and then redecorate the tree better. Who's with me? Anybody else do that? Yeah? All right. Is that just me? Okay. All right. But, you know, so, I mean, we love those moments. We love this whole season. We love what it's about. You know, for us, we've got little traditions that we've started with our kids. We're just really intentional about trying to make memories and, and have special moments. And one of ours is getting ready to happen next week. It's Christmas Eve. Uh, every single Christmas Eve, we open up one gift. The kids get to open up one gift, and then we open up one gift as a family. And it's the same gift every year. It's the same gift every year. It's brand new pajamas, right? And the kids love it, man. They get these cool footy pajamas, and they put them on. And, you know, Braden's getting bigger, and the taller he gets, the more ridiculous he looks. And it's just awesome, and it's so much fun. And then they're running and sliding around the house. And, you know, it's just every, we know the pajamas are coming. We know it's pajamas, but yet we're just waiting. Like, we're just sitting there. Even now, the kids are looking at the boxes, and they're just like, those are our pajamas. Those are pajamas. And then Ryland's like, I bet that one's a DVD. We're like, well, yeah, what else is it going to be <laughs> You know, and so it's like, you know, but we're just looking forward to it. We're excited. And it's just, it's that anticipation. It's that moment of waiting. You know, it's like the older I get, the more I enjoy those moments of those moments in between the moments, you know, waiting for them to open the presents and waiting for these moments. And, you know, we just absolutely love this season. 
We take a lot of time to make a lot of memories, like I said, you know, we, we do what we can to you know, stay up late during the Christmas break, or the Christmas break just happened for all of us public school kids, all you homeschool kids, you've already been on Christmas break for a while, but you know, for, uh, for all of us, you know, public school uh, just started, and did I just say that? Is that all right that I said that? Did I offend you? All right. I was looking at a homeschool mom, so, but anyway, so, <laughs> when I said that, but, so, you know, like, we, you know, just started Christmas break, and we look forward to the Christmas break moment, you know, and, and, you know, because we stay up, and we watch movies, and we eat cookies, and we get a chance to go and visit family, and visit friends, you know, we try to do something different every year, and try to do all these different things, and we just look forward to that time. Have an absolute blast. It's just this whole thing, you're waiting for the parties at Christmas at, at your office. You're waiting for the parties. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Maybe you're waiting for them to be over. I don't know. You know, but like th this whole season, you go somewhere, you go to a restaurant, there's more people than normal, you have to wait. You go out and drive on the road, there's more people than normal, especially if you live in Waynesburg and you're waiting for all the people to go to Bush Gardens and you got to wait, you know? It, it's just, but it, it's just about waiting and it's, at the same time, though, it's not a bad thing. It's a fun thing. And we are okay with waiting to some degree during the season, unless you're at Walmart on Friday night on, on, on Jefferson trying to do Christmas shopping. That's not fun, and you do not enjoy waiting in those moments. Um, and you definitely are thankful that you have Jesus because you don't know what you would do in those moments without him. But so anyways, that just happened the other night. But this moment is about waiting. And, and we, in this season... We just take time to wait and to see what God is doing. But at the same time, it highlights something in each and every one of our lives is the fact that we're really not good at waiting in general. There's moments that we can celebrate it. There's moments that we can look forward to it. But yet we see at the same time in our kids, we see them anxious to open their presents. We see them being sneaky and trying to undo the tape so they can see their presence. We see them trying to ask to shake the presence. You know, I mean, they're, just, they're not enjoying the waiting period. They're not enjoying the moment. For us, you know, there's different things that are happening at work, or we're just ready. We want to get on Christmas break, and we just want to get out, and we're just done with work in 2015. We just want to be just in our pajamas, hanging out, making cookies, doing whatever we can, and we're just not really good at waiting all at the same time. But for us, especially those of us that say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. The reality is, is that that is how we're supposed to be identified as people who are in waiting. Theologians, they describe it this way, is that Jesus Christ, he's come already and he's going to come again. And it's called this already but not yet. And so for us as Christians, we've already had a chance to, if you've come to become a follower of Christ, you've already had a chance to know God and his goodness through Jesus Christ and you've come to know him and he's changed your life and he's worked in your life and you're becoming a new person, you're seeing that. But yet at the same time, you haven't fully realized his grace and you haven't fully realized who he is and what he's offered. It's just already, but not yet. We already know who Jesus is if you've become a follower of Christ. We already enjoy his goodness but we don't fully know who he is, and we don't fully know what life is like in Jesus yet. We'll know it more and more until the day that we die. And if you want to talk about waiting, we're all waiting to die. Isn't that encouraging as we get ready to go into Christmas? We're all waiting, each and every one of us. We, we have these things that we're waiting for. We're waiting for uh, eternity. We're waiting for, uh, you know, like just life to happen. We're waiting for a financial breakthrough. We're waiting for something to happen in our, in our marriage. We're waiting for all kinds of different things. We're waiting for somebody to develop a new technology, you know, to make TV better. Or, you know, waiting for people to make food easier and faster to cook. I don't know if that's possible uh, nowadays. And I'm scared of what we're doing to our bodies. But, you know, we're waiting for it. We're always trying to find ways to cut corners and to do new, do new things. We're waiting for all kinds of different things. Maybe you have something that you've been waiting for for a long time. You've been waiting for God to provide something for you for a long time. You've been waiting and praying and seeking and asking. You've done everything you possibly can. You've read every book that you could possibly read. You've had every conversation you can have. You've come to the altar every time there's a moment for prayer. And you're waiting still for God to do something in your life. Waiting is a reality of our lives. Waiting is a reality that we have to face on a regular basis. Some things we enjoy waiting for. Some things we're really, really, really bad 
at waiting for them. The reality is, is that waiting is always going to be a part of our lives. And as a follower of Christ, how we wait and what we're waiting for has eternal implications. And what we do in our seasons of waiting, it reveals a lot about us. And so tonight, what I want us to do is, is we're going to look at the Christmas story. And in this story, we're going to find God in his wisdom exactly at the right moment, exactly at the right time when humanity needed it the most. He sent his son as a baby into the world to a people group who had been waiting anxiously, who had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. They had been waiting for a really long time. They had given up on their waiting, and they waited again, and then they gave up on their waiting again. Have you ever been there in one of those moments? That's where they were. That's where humanity was. And at the right time, exactly when it was supposed to be, God came into their situation, and God came into our situation in the form of a baby. And so tonight, what we're going to be talking about is waiting, but we're going to be talking about what our waiting should look like in the light of Jesus Christ and him having been sent. And when we look at the story tonight in Matthew chapter 2, which is where we're going to be, I want you to be encouraged in your season of waiting. Because no matter what you're waiting for, if you're waiting for you know, somebody like me you know, who's waiting for them to find a cure for baldness, or if you're waiting for a real issue and waiting for something to really happen that's important to you and that's meaningful to you, we're all in a place of waiting. And we're all wanting to see God do something. We're all wanting something to become a reality in your life. We're waiting. And tonight, I want you to be encouraged in your season of waiting. When we look at the story, I want you to see that God did not abandon his people, and God has not abandoned you. And I want you tonight to know that waiting is not time wasted. So, Father, we just pray in this moment, Lord, that you be with us. We pray, God, that you speak, that you encourage, that you help us. Father, we just pray, Lord, as we get ready to enter this Christmas week, that you change our hearts, you change our perspectives, you change our minds on what the season's all about. And even if we have a great view of you and who you are, give us a greater view. Give us a greater understanding of who you are and how good you are. Father, if we feel like our situation is hopeless, if we feel like we have already given up or we're on the verge of giving up, help us, Lord, to stay strong. Father, if we find ourselves in a place where we're resisting, where we're fighting, where we're pushing away, the things that you want to do in us and the things that you're calling us to do, the things that you are asking of us to do, if we're pushing those things, we're fighting against those things, and we find ourselves in a place of waiting because of this inner battle. God, help us to find peace tonight. Help us to find surrender tonight. Help us to see goodness in your sovereignty and in your plans. We thank you, Father. We love you and we worship you. And God, we thank you so much for how bad the entire division of the Redskins, the Cowboys, the Eagles, and the Giants are doing, that even when you're a loser, you can still be in first place. And God, that's what you offer to us. God, we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. So, Matthew chapter 2. Love you, Terrence. That was just for you. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about the, t about the time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with these wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. 
Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. As we read this story and as we look through this, the different groups of people that are in this story, we're going to see that there are several groups of people that are each in different situations and different circumstances, and each one of them is in a place of waiting. They're in a place of waiting, of waiting for this long-awaited Messiah, this long-promised Messiah, and their response shows how they had spent their time waiting. Their response is also tonight going to show each and every one of us some insight into how we are spending our time. Because we're going to see in each one of these groups people that we can relate to, people that we can connect to, and that we can see a little bit of their story in our lives. Maybe for you it's going to be a little bit of each of the different groups that we look at. Maybe for you it's one of them. But tonight I just want you to be encouraged and your eyes to be open that how you spend your time in your season of waiting, no matter what you're waiting for, that how you spend your time has eternal implications. And during this Christmas season, God wants to open our eyes and help us to see that waiting is not something that is wasted, that in our season of waiting that we can find joy and we can find peace. So to start our story off, we'll do what Matthew did. And Matthew here in chapter 2, he starts off with Herod. And so we're going to do the same thing. And we're going to talk about King Herod for a second. King Herod was also known as Herod the Great. King Herod became the client king. I'm going to get into a little bit of history. So if you don't like history, stick with me just for a few minutes, all right? If you like history, this is all for you, all right? If you don't, just bear with me. I'm going to make it interesting. It's going to be fascinating, all right? So I was telling Michelle a little bit about this, and, and we were talking about it, and she's like, wait a minute, wasn't there a play about this? And I was like, yes, but it's also history. It's real. It happened, all right? So King Herod, right, 39, 40-ish B.C., somewhere in there, King Herod becomes, he's made by Rome the king of Judea. Now, what had happened for him to do this, so King Herod at this time, King Herod was, uh, or he was just Herod at this point. He was, he was part of, uh, his, his father had been a governor in the area, and so he was very connected to Rome, and he did a lot of things to kind of get noticed and all of that stuff. And there was a king of Judea who had passed away, and when he passed away, that guy's nephew said, I'm going to become the king of Judea, but he wasn't connected with Rome. And so Herod, he saw some opportunity, so he goes to Mark Antony. If you've ever heard of his name, maybe you know that, right? He's a real person, really happened, all right? So he goes to him, and he gets connected, and Mark Antony then takes Herod and says, I'm going to make you king of Judea. And so Herod says, sweet, this is awesome. And so he goes back to Judea, and for three years, Herod and this guy, they kind of battle it out and have some issues, and Rome is doing all they can to kind of force this guy out. And during this three years of, of battle and struggle for Herod to become the sole king of Judea, during this time, Herod is doing everything he can to try to win the hearts and the minds of the Jewish people. So Herod decides, you know what, I'm going to marry a Jewish person, I'm going to marry a Jewish woman, and, and it's going to make everybody say, oh, he's awesome, and he's Jewish, and he's good, and we should make him king. And so he marries this one, woman named Miriam, Miriam the first, all right? And so he marries her. She's the former king's granddaughter, and the guy that's trying to become the king, she is his niece. All right, you tracking with me a little bit there, right? So Herod's like, I don't mind getting into mess, and I don't mind causing a little bit of family conflict, right? And so Herod steps into that moment. He marries this woman, and to make it even worse, Herod was already married to Doris. Doris was his wife. Herod and Doris had a son. Herod said, you know what? It's probably not good for me to try to be king and have multiple wives. So you know what? Doris and son, you no longer exist. And he banished them from the country and made them live somewhere else and just completely disregarded them. 
So this is who Herod is, right? This is Herod. This is the kind of the way he thinks. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become king. And he eventually becomes king. And him and Mark Antony become like best friends. And they're hanging out. And him and Mark Antony and Cleopatra, they're throwing parties. And they're celebrating and all this different stuff. And Mark Antony and Octavius, you know the name Octavius? You ever remember that? All right, all right, right, real, real person. He becomes Caesar Augustus, right? So they're going around and they're trying to... to find vengeance for Julius Caesar for him being killed and so they're out just taking people out and and all in the soul minds of them becoming the kings and so they're doing this and Herod supporting Mark Antony and Mark Antony uh, I always say want to say Mark Anthony like why is that so difficult Mark Antony he's supporting them they're hanging out and then eventually there's nobody left to oppose and so Mark Antony and then Octavius they say you know what you got to go because I'm gonna be Caesar right Mark Antony loses, and Herod goes, oh, shoot, I backed the wrong dude, right? So Herod's in this moment, and he's king of Judea. He's been king of Judea for a little bit. He works his way in, and just in a brave way, I'm not going to go into the story. He actually walks up to Octavius. You know, Octavius is going around. Anybody supported Mark Antony, I'm just going to take him out. You know, and I'm going to get to it, but they're all going to be gone. I'm going to kill them all, and only the people that are loyal to me are going to stay. And Herod walks up to Octavius, knowing that, goes to him and says, Hey, listen, I was loyal to him without a fault. I'll be loyal to you. And Octavius goes, Dude, you're pretty brave. Here you go, you're going to be king of this whole area, and I'm going to give you some more regions. And so that's who Herod is, right? He's like, I'm super smart. He's very, very intelligent, very ambitious, willing to do anything he possibly can, right, to be able to get more power and to get more control. And so Herod, he's in this situation, and he becomes the sole king. And because of his loyalty to Rome, Herod is able to do anything that he wants to do. I mean, he's literally just ruling at free will, and he's the king of the Jews. That's his title. And he's doing everything he can, and he's staying as loyal as he possibly can to Rome. And he's doing all that he can for the Jerusalem people because he wants the Jewish people to look at him as this great, incredible person. He wants a legacy to last beyond the years that he's king. And so King Herod is known as Herod the Great because he built the temple, he rebuilt the temple, he rebuilt the port of Caesarea. He did all of these incredible things, and because of the guy that he was, like he didn't just say, I'm going to build the temple, like he's like, I'm going to build the temple, and it's going to be the best temple we ever had. I'm going to build a port, and it's going to be the best port we've ever had. I mean, like, people were coming in from Rome, and they're like, dude, this is a good-looking city. Like, you're, way to go, Herod, fist bump, right? And so, that, I mean, that's who they are, and that's what they're doing. You didn't know fist bumps around that long, did you? And so, they, you know, they're there, and, and so that's who Herod is. He's doing all this different stuff. He's trying to win the hearts of the Jewish people. Like, look, I'm building your city up, and I'm making the city great. And he's telling Rome, look, I'm giving you all kinds of taxes, and I'm making your kingdom bigger, and I'm making your kingdom great. And Herod's like, I'm awesome, and I'm doing good stuff. But Herod had a problem. Herod was scared, and he had just a little bit of a paranoia problem. Herod realized he's getting a little bit older. You guys still with me? You still with me on history here? All right, all right, good. How many of you dozed off in history? You're really bad at history. Okay, you're all good at history. All right, so we're going to quiz you after service. I'm just kidding. So, so at this point, right, all this stuff's happening, and so Herod's getting a little bit older, and Herod's starting to realize you know what, I'm going to be dying soon, so I've got to pick one of my sons to become the king. I've got to find somebody who's going to succeed me as king. So he goes to one of his sons, and he writes his will out. He says, hey, here's the deal. You're going to become king. And his son's like, sweet, that's awesome. And people are like, yeah, we're going to be loyal to him. We're going to support him. This is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, King Herod's like, that sucker's trying to take my kingdom. Kill him. And he kills his son. And anybody that's loyal to his son. So then he goes through, and he says, you know what, now you... My second son, you're going to become king. And he's like, sweet, this is awesome, this is great. And he kills that guy, and he kills the next one. And at some point, his sons are like, I don't want it, dad, right? Like, no, I'm good, I'm not interested in it. Herod goes through and he kills his sons, he kills uncles, he eventually kills his wife Miriam, he kills some of his other wives. I mean, this guy is scared constantly. Somebody's going to overthrow his kingdom. And all that he's doing, everything that he's working on, all that he's built towards is going to be gone. He was prepared to commit any crime and do everything that he possibly could so that he could maintain order and maintain power and have his position as king. See, King Herod was a, an amazing person. He was extremely intelligent. He was extremely ambitious. He was very good. He was a great political leader. He had a lot of power, a lot of wisdom, a lot of acumen. I mean, this guy was a legit guy. 
but there was something inside of him that had to control everything to the 10th degree that he drove everybody away. And what made him so powerful, what made him so influential, what made him so successful was the very thing that ended up costing him everything. Just some 80 years later, Herod is gone. Everything that he built, the temple, it's gone. Everything that he had set up, everything that he had set out to do, it is all gone. Herod, this guy is so worked up and he's so caught up in who he is and what his legacy is going to be. Herod goes out and he says, listen, I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting old. It's not going to be much longer. So he tells all of his soldiers to go and to round up the most influential Jewish leaders in the nation. He says, put them in prison. And on the day that I die, kill them all so that somebody's mourning my death. That somebody is mourning on the day that I die. That's the problem this dude had. That's the issue that he had. And this is the scene in which the Magi walk in to Judea and they begin to say, where's this new king? Right? I mean, that's the guy. That's the situation. That's what people are aware of. They're like, dude, that's what our king is. Yeah, he built some great stuff, but he's a little bit crazy. He's a little bit power hungry. He might kill you if you look at him wrong, right? And then the Magi come in and they start asking questions. Where is this new king? Where is he at? Where can we find him? Now them, they probably know who, here, here it is. They probably know all of the different things are happening. They kind of know what his personality is. I'm sure his fame had spread for being a little bit crazy. You can't keep that in, right? It's kind of like Crazy Aunt Ruth, like, right? Everybody that's your friend, they know Crazy Aunt Ruth, right? Because you tell them about Crazy Aunt Ruth, right? You know what I'm talking about? I don't have a Crazy Aunt Ruth, so I'm not bad in anybody right now. But anyways, so everybody probably has a clue. They probably know who this guy is. So the Magi, they come into the town, and they're not just coming in and going straight to Herod's door. They're walking to the people and connecting with the people. They're going there, and they're just walking through the streets, and they're saying, hey, where is this new king at? Where is this king at? What's going on? Have you seen him? Have you heard him? And this is how things begin to spread to Herod and to his kingdom. This is what's happening. This is what's taking place. But here's the crazy thing. Before we get into the Magi a little bit more, I want to look at the people in Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3, let's read it together. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3, it says this. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, see, here's a nation who's actively been waiting for the Messiah to come. And when I say actively waiting, they've been waiting for hundreds of years for this Messiah to come. Now, as they're sitting there waiting and they're anticipating this, they're sitting there looking forward to see what's going to happen, and, and they're reading the Hebrew Bible, and they're kind of like aware of what's going on. They had to study the Bible, and they had to know the Hebrew Bible. You know, I mean, like, this is not something that kind of caught them off guard. If you know, if you read a couple verses after this, Herod after hearing about this and hearing these stirrings in the community that there's this new baby that's been born that's going to be king, Herod calls in all of the Jewish leaders and the teachers of the religious law. He calls them in and is like, hey, where's this supposed to happen? And they're just like, it's supposed to happen here. They knew the circumstances and the place in which it was supposed to happen. They're aware. They're expecting. This is the way it's going to take place. This is the way things are going to unfold. This is what they're saying. People in the community, they probably knew it. When Herod asked the Jewish leaders, hey, where's this going to happen? The Jewish leaders probably were a little frustrated with him because he had been claiming to be a Jew, even though nobody believed him. He, as the Jewish king, he should have known this because this was clear. It was plain. Everybody should have known what was going to happen. They should have been expecting it. So they're waiting for the Messiah. They know the situation in which it's going to happen, the way things are going to look. And not only that, but these magi are asking, where is this baby going to be born? And it seems as if the people in Jerusalem have no clue what's happening. And when they start hearing people ask and all this different stuff, they're troubled. Now the interesting thing about this is, is not only should they have known because of scripture, but a few months before, if not a year or so before, and if this is whole timelines messing with your nativity scene understanding, it should, just so you know, okay. So, we can talk about that another time. So, Jesus, you know, so, so, um, so the Magi have come into town, and, and a few months to a year or so before they come into town, 
There's this moment, there's a scene where these shepherds are out in the middle of a field. And you can see the story in Luke chapter 2. And they're out in the middle of a field and all of a sudden an angel appears to them. And the angel says, listen, the Savior of the world has been born and he's lying in a manger. And the, and the shepherds are like, what? This is crazy. And they run and they go exactly where the angel told them to go. And they find everything exactly the way the angel had told them it was. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone, told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Then you got 40 days after that, just 40 days after that, because of their Jewish rituals and because of the religious law, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple. And upon taking him to the temple, they meet this guy named Simeon who was there waiting to die, waiting to see this Messiah. And the moment that, the, that Mary and Joseph walk in, he sees this baby, knows who this baby is, and begins to out loud proclaim that he's the savior of the world. And as he's doing this, he's proclaiming this is the savior of the world out loud in the temple. This prophet, her name is Anna, Anna, and she comes walking up. And as this is happening, she begins to say, this is the savior. And she walks around, and guess what? She does the same exact thing. In Luke chapter 2, verse 38, we can see the same thing, that she went and she told everyone. I mean, there's a stir happening. There's all of these things that are happening with the shepherds. There's all these things happening at the temple. And I mean, like, this is the day before they had TV, before they had Facebook, before they had Twitter, before they had Netflix. I know we can't believe it. Before TGIF Fridays, right? Before anything to distract them. All they had was the stories they told and the things that happened in their community. I mean, this is like seventh grade on steroids. And you think about seventh grade... You think about all the gossip and all the conversations and all the things that happen at the cafeteria, right? I mean, this is what's going on. They come into the community. They say, did you hear this? Can you believe this? Did you hear what the shepherd said? Did you hear what happened at the temple? They know the scriptures. They see all these things happening. So there had to have been a stir. I mean, there had to have been all kinds of things happening in the community. And in the midst of all of this, these guys from an eastern country come into their community. They're dressed different, they're dignitaries, they're wealthy, they're riding camels. They come into the community and they're there and they start asking, where is this new king? You know, there's all kinds of things happening. There's all kinds of just different stirrings and things that are happening in the community. And they're asking, how did they know about this? Where did they hear this from? They, they watched a star, they read scriptures, they had dreams and the star led them here. Like, I mean, there had to have been so many things going on in their hearts and their minds. And to this, the only thing people had was, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where the baby is. They have been waiting for hundreds of years. They have been expecting this. They have been reading scriptures. They're seeing all these things happening that line up with what they know and, and should be what they understand. But they're in this place and they say, man, it just doesn't make sense. The Magi, the star, after talking to King Herod, the star leads them to the house. They see where baby Jesus is. They go in and they see him and they bow down and they worship. So here we have three different groups that we're gonna use briefly here to filter our own seasons of waiting. We look at these people, we look at their situations and we can see in our own times of waiting, we can see a little bit of ourselves in their stories. And again, I want you to walk away encouraged tonight that there is reason for hope. And so we look at these people and we see the things that are happening. And we can see that in the moments, between the moments, when it seems like God isn't there, when it seems like he is far from us and he doesn't care, I want you to see tonight that God is there, that he does care, that he loves you, that he has a plan for you, that he has a purpose for you, that he's working behind the scenes, even if you don't want to see it. So let me ask you before we dive into this, do you believe that? I want you to ask that in your heart tonight. Do you believe that God's working behind the scenes? Do you believe that God has a plan for you? Do you believe that God has a purpose for you? It affects what you do in your season of waiting. Use that as a filter. Use that as a question into each one of these situations as we look into these people and look at what was happening in their lives. So Herod at this point. He's going out of his mind. I mean, absolutely losing control. He's 70 years old now. 
There's this king who is born that's going to take over his kingdom. He's not only 70, but he's dying of a kidney disease. He's killed most of the people that he loves and that he could give his kingdom to. Things are in a mess, and there's this baby who's wanting to take over his kingdom, and Herod is at a loss, and he doesn't know what to do. All of these things are happening, and all of these things are taking place. And so Herod begins to freak out. And Herod sends these soldiers out into Bethlehem. And he sends them a little bit further than Bethlehem. And he says, I want you to go. And because of when they said they saw the star, I'm going to bump it up a little bit because I'm pretty smart. And I don't want to be fooled by this. And so I want you to go, and I want you to kill every baby boy that is two years old or younger. I want you to go and just kill them all. So the soldiers, they go out and they begin to do this and carry out this massacre in the Jerusalem people there in Bethlehem. And all of this begins to happen and all of these things are taking place. And before we get a little bit further into Herod's thing, I know it's horrible, it's grievous. We can never imagine a person ever doing this. But I want you to be honest with yourself tonight because this has been something that's been challenging me. I've been honest with myself. We can see a little bit more of Herod in our lives than we want to admit. We can look at how just atrocious and horrible and cruel this is. But the reality is that when we in our situations are trying to control our kingdoms, there is no length to the depravity that we will go to main control of power and control of our situation. That we in ourselves, maybe we don't go that far, but maybe we could. In the right situation, the right circumstances, each one of us has just a brokenness, a a reality inside of us that will push us to the brink if we're fighting for control, if we're fighting power for our own situation. And this is where Herod is. Instead of him looking at a situation and saying that God is here and God is working something out and God's going to do something for my best in the situation, Herod, in an absolute desire for control, an absolute desire for power, he takes control of his own destiny and he rejects God's sovereignty and everything he had everything he ever fought for it was absolutely gone the people of Jerusalem they're waiting for salvation and in their apathy they settle for another source of deliverance see the people of Jerusalem even though that Herod was cruel and even though Herod had worked them like crazy and they were the ones that built everything on their taxes and on their backs and they were being worked hard and they were being pushed to the brink even though that happened he made their city look great again. Even though it was horrible and they were getting taxed like crazy and they were getting worked like crazy, there were jobs and they had a little bit of money to provide for the kids. The Jewish people waiting for the Messiah to come. They are God's promised people, God's chosen people to be a light to the world. Freedom, liberty, joy, prosperity, power, All of these things are things that are promised to them. They're waiting on the Messiah to come. These are the things that they're seeing. They're reading scriptures. They're seeing God's promises. All these things are promised to them. And instead of waiting and seeing God's activity in their lives, they get to a place where they settle for temporary relief and status as a conquered nation. And in their situation, they're looking at it and they're just like, who's this baby? I mean, what's a baby going to do against Herod? How's a baby going to overcome the Roman kingdom? What if we go and we support this baby? What if we go and we worship this baby? What is Herod going to do to me? I mean, Herod's going to take me out. He's got no problem killing a son. I mean, dude, like, I'm just a a guy in Jerusalem. Like, he's going to come and take me out. I mean, like, what's going to happen? So all these people are looking at their situations and they're looking at what's happening. And their apathy, they refuse to see that God is at work. They refuse to believe in the faithfulness of God. And they just become apathetic and they don't care about the claims of Christ in scripture and they just reject it all and they just kind of turn their eye away everything they've been hoping for everything they've been wanting everything that they've been anxiously seeking everything that had been promised to them was five miles away and they just chose to ignore chose to walk away chose just to say it's not a big deal But here's the problem with apathy. If you don't see a little bit of Herod in yourself and you don't see yourself in a place where you're fighting for control and you're fighting for power, maybe you see yourself a little bit where the Jerusalem people were. You see a little bit of apathy. You see yourself okay to settle. You see yourself okay to say, this is what God wants for me and God wants more for me and God has a plan and purpose for me, but I'm okay with this. You get to this place where you're apathetic 
You say, it's okay, I'm not hurting anybody, I'm not doing anything wrong. I want you to hear this and I want you to know this and put yourself on guard. That apathy is always going to lead you to a dangerous place. That apathy always leads to animosity. The same people that just, just said, you know what, I'm going to choose to ignore the fact that God has sent his son. I'm just going to choose to ignore it. 30 years later, they're the same people that are yelling, crucify him. Take him away. I reject your forgiveness. Our apathy can lead to animosity. And when we get to a place where we don't care and we don't see what's happening, we refuse to believe in God's faithfulness, we refuse to see that he has come, we can get ourselves into an absolute dangerous place because rejection of Christ will always lead us to the worst possible actions. And in your season of waiting, as you see things happening, and you feel like it's taking forever, and you feel like God isn't there, and you feel like I'm just okay to accept something else other than what Scripture says. I'm okay to accept something else other than what I heard God speak to me in the message last week. I'm okay to accept something else other than what I felt like God was speaking to me during worship. I'm okay to move away from those things. I'm not wanting to see that He has come, that He has promised, and that He is faithful. Instead, I just want to not deal with it and you get to this place of just apathy and you're okay with where you are and you're okay with what you have and you're okay with the way your spiritual life is and you're not going to push you're not going to challenge at some point it's going to push you to a place where you're going to begin to fight for control of that mirage of peace and what is apathy it will lead to animosity and then you're going to find yourself fighting God's will for your life so I ask you tonight, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? This Christmas season, as we get ready to go into the holidays, what are you waiting for? The Magi, they walk in and they walk into this hostile situation. They walk into this intense situation, leaving their home and everything they knew, coming on possibly a very dangerous journey, risking everything. They come just for a chance to bow and worship Jesus. See, we believe waiting is time wasted, but we have to see that in our waiting, we're not called to inactivity, but a life of God activity. The reality is, is that our waiting, the seasons of waiting, the seasons that are things that are happening for us, it's not moments where God's not in control. It's not moments where God's not working. It's not moments where God's not wanting to do something. In fact, it's moments where God's doing something deep within us that we just maybe can't see yet. It's moments where God is revealing something to us that's bigger than we can even get to a place to accept. It's the moments that God is working in us to remove things that are there that are blocking our ability to see his activity. Our waiting is not a place of inactivity where we just sit there and say, God's not doing anything, I'm not going to do anything. Our waiting is a season where God is at work and we have to step in and trust that he is working. You have to get to a place where you believe and you see and you know, as it says in Psalms 119, verse 68, God is good and he only does good. You're waiting, I get it, it's painful. I just wish the situation would be over. I just wish we could move past this. I just wish that they would get over it. I just wish that our situation would change. I wish that I would have a new opportunity. I wish that all the things that I did, all the bad choices that I made, and all the consequences that I'm living in, I wish they would just go away. I'm tired of waiting. Even in that place, even in that season of waiting, God is at work. He is good, and all he does is good. Be strengthened and encouraged in your time of waiting. In Psalm 27, verse 13, it says this, Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Real quick, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I love how I always think I'm going to go way faster than I do. I end up going long. Hopefully you're okay with that. I just love scripture and I love what God's speaking. But there's another group of people. You read the story, sometimes we can just blow by and not even realize it. Mary and Joseph. I mean, can you imagine what they're going through? All of these little boys being murdered because of their son. They're having to go and flee to another country, be away from their home, live in a foreign land, and all the risks that came with it being Hebrews in an Egyptian land. They're sitting there in that place knowing all the things that are happening, just waiting for a cruel man to die so they can go home. 
Can you imagine what they felt? Can you imagine the things that are going on in their minds? Can you imagine the things that are happening? But all through scripture we see that God was showing Mary and showing Joseph what his plan was, what his intentions were. And they said they stored it up in their hearts. They remembered who God was. They remembered that he was good. They remembered that all he does is good. They remembered that he is faithful, that his love is unfailing, that God's way always prevails and he always works things out. They remembered it. They remembered it. They reminded themselves. They encouraged themselves. They held on to it. And they said, he is good. Because listen, in your situation and in my situation, right, I want you to know and I want you to hear, trouble is promised, right? Jesus himself said, trouble is promised. If you want an easy life, if you want a good life, if you want a perfect life, if you want no problems, you got to go look somewhere else and you're not going to find anything. But you will find peace. Trouble is promised, but so is peace. He is good, and you can trust him. In your situations, no matter how big they are, no matter how difficult they seem to be, no matter how you feel in the moment, no matter if you feel like God is so far and he's so gone that nothing is happening, he is at work and he's doing something in your lives that you can't even imagine. Our time of waiting is actually a gift that God has given us. Not to destroy us, but to make us stronger. God is working in us in our seasons of waiting. There is things that he's doing that we can't even imagine. Trust in his unfailing love tonight. Trust in who he is. The worship team can go ahead and come up. Maybe magically I can finish in a minute and be done on time. But it's not going to happen, so you can give up on that. Long sermons are promised at City Life. But the night will end at some point. Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25. This is a verse that just jumped out at me. You've got to trust, and I've got to trust. In God's unfailing love and in his faithfulness. You've got to trust and you've got to believe. I've got to trust and I've got to believe that God has a purpose and he has a plan for my life. He has a purpose and he has a plan for your life. That God's plans will prevail. That God will come out on top. And that what he wants for us and what he's doing in us, that it will be accomplished. The destiny he has for you will not be stopped. In Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25, it says this, God proves to be the man who passionately waits. This is the message translation. It says, God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits. To the woman who diligently seeks, it's a good thing to quietly hope. Quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick out through the hard times. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. If he works severely, he also works tenderly. His stockpiles of loyal love are immense. He takes no pleasure in making life hard and throwing roadblocks in the way. What are you waiting for tonight? What is it that you're waiting for? What is it that you were anxious to have happen? What is it that you feel that is just working on you, that's taxing you, that's pushing you? What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for the most? What are you wanting to see have happen in your life the most? If you find yourself resisting God's sovereignty, you find yourself fighting for control of your life and you're rejecting God's will, His desires for you along the way. If you find yourself tonight accepting less than God has for you, if you find yourself tonight in the midst of an unthinkable, unquestionable, unimaginable, just horrible situation, and you feel like nothing seems to make any sense to you, if you're looking tonight, if you're seeking, if you're believing, if you're hoping, even if you feel like you're the only one in the world that sees that God is actually working, if you are waiting, if you are waiting, use it as a time to evaluate what you're waiting for. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40 through 42. Let's take a good look 
at the way we're living and reorder our lives under God. Let's lift our hearts and hands at one and the same time, praying to God and in heaven. Waiting is not about getting, it's about being made aware that God is close and He's at work. The people of Jerusalem, Herod, Mary and Joseph, Simeon and Anna, the shepherds, all the people in the temple, all the people in Bethlehem, Elizabeth, Nehemiah, his little cousin John, they were so close to what God was doing. God's eternal work and entire and eternal purposes were all being fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ, being born in the right moment in time so that we could have hope and know God's plan and desire for us to be in relationship with Him. God is closer than you realize. Use your time of waiting to reorient your heart, to redirect yourself under God, to put yourself in a place where you say, God, you are good and I trust you. God, you are good and all that you do is good. Your unfailing love is what I find hope in. I know that I can trust you. I know that I can believe in you. When you see that God is working and you see that he is close and you see that he's in control, when you see that he is good and that he's working all things out for your good and for his glory, it changes the way you wait. And what we do in our waiting, it reveals who we believe God to be. He's someone to be fought. He's someone who's not doing anything about anything or he's somebody who's to be worshipped. And tonight, wherever you find yourself, wherever you are, I want you to hear this and I want you to know this. You're not too far. You're like, I'm all up in King Herod's camp. Like, I'm a messed up person. I've been rejecting, I've been fighting against God. You can't push too hard. You can't run too far. God is there and he is waiting. You're like, man, I've just been apathetic. I've just been nonchalant. I haven't been seeking, haven't been looking. God is here and he is waiting. You're like, I've been seeking, I've been hungry, I've been praying, I'm believing, I'm trusting, but I haven't seen it yet. God is at work and he's good and everything he does is good. Let's worship, let's lift our hands, let's lift our voices because he's come and he's come and he says, I'm still waiting. I'm waiting for you to come. I'm waiting for you to know my love. I'm waiting for you to know how much I love you and the plans and the purposes I have for you. They're not small, they're big, they're great, they're wonderful. And the things that you think you need and the things that you think are gonna give you hope and joy, they're nothing, but I'm everything. And when we see that, we can't help but do what the Magi did. We walk into the situation against all odds, against all things that are happening, against all...